Good day, fellow consciousness explorers. Welcome to the Universal Citizen Media VIP broadcast, where we discuss everything in the healing, spiritual, and wellness spectrum. My name is Dr. David Ellis, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Amir Jahangiri, and we will be discussing the science of applied spirituality. Whether you're new on the path or an adept, there is something here for everyone. So sit back, relax, and join us as we explore the real questions which you, the students of self-development, want answered. Hello, everyone. This is David Ellis again. And today we have a rather special show for you. Uh, we have on the panel, Patty Lucia. Now, Patty has done shows with me. Love her to death. Patty has very interesting perspectives. And the reason why she's on the show is because Patty is a no bullshit zone whatsoever <laughs> right it, when when you put something to patty she'll give you the exactly what she thinks at any point in time any day of the week and twice on sundays patty introduce yourself to the audience please wow um i i hardly know what to say to that david we were joking uh before the show i was kind of uh joking a little bit with amir about um, how I, I don't really, um, you know, I was kidding. I was saying, I don't really know why I'm on the show. I don't read Akashic Records. I'm not a Reiki master. I'm not a psychic. I don't have a bunch of letters behind my name, except, mm. you know, I did go to college and, and all of that sort of thing. Um, and uh, so, but I, I am here because um, David asked me to. Mm. And David always has his reasons, and I, and I trust that. Um, and I love him to death too. And so, um, so that's why I'm here. Um, but I am a teacher. I'm, I'm still teaching. I teach high school English. Um, I've written a couple of books. I'm working on another one this summer. Um, so, and that's kind of, that's what I do. I've owned a cafe. I'm a foodie. Um, I believe in kitchen magic and I believe that cooking with love is, is a real thing, um, metaphysically. Um, and so those are kind of, those are, that's, that's a little bit of an introduction, uh, to, to who I am. And it's, you know, David, it, it's always such a pleasure to spend time with you. And it's especially nice uh, to be spending time with both you and Amir this afternoon. I'm going to fill in the rest of that introduction since she won't do it. Patty has a problem talking about herself. This lady has written two books. Okay. And um, apart from that fact, um, she and I spend a lot of time um, examining language and how it is used. And she has some very interesting views. Amaya, you want to chime in here? Because the lady is being humble. Well, that's the sign of greatness. Uh, the tree that bears most fruit is closer to the ground. Those who stand up straight are fruitless. So, well, this uh, matches perfectly with what I know about uh, true people with true mastery. And again, having humility is always a beautiful thing. It's a pleasure to be here with both of you. We were speaking about um, instruments in order to create harmony. And that's what we're trying to do. Bring um, topics which are truthful in the most harmonious, loving way. Love that is not conditional, uh, love that is not motivated by reward, 
and I'm sure my esteemed panel members would agree, we're not doing this because we want something. We're doing it because we're exploding with this joyful, loving energy. Hopefully what we present here today will be of benefit because there's a lot of misinformation out there. There are a lot of people that have insufficient knowledge that are hurting people. And then again, even worse, people who have the knowledge but are intentionally wrongdoing. So hopefully some of the stuff we will say will bring clarity. Let there be light. Let everything be examined in the light. And people are clever. Let them use their judgment. Take from this what you will. I hope it is of benefit to you, uh, mm -hmm. esteemed ladies and gentlemen, listening to us. <laughs> so Beautifully yeah. said. Beautifully said, Amir. Exactly. So, I had just... I'm sorry, and I had or before the show, I had just um, dovetailed off of what Amir just said when we were speaking before the show, um, because I'm into food and food magic and cooking with love. He used this beautiful analogy of um, musical instruments, taking these musical instruments, bringing them together to offer harmony create harmony and offer it to others. And I often experience um, making food that way, particularly soups, which is the oldest, most healing food, I think, for humans. Um, and so there's this experience that I have when I'm making soup, where it's, you know, you put these wonderful ingredients together um, that have these different flavors, and some are earthy or some are spicy, and you're bringing it all together and you're letting it steep and of course stirring stirring your love into it um, and then serving up a, a bowl of healing um, sometimes to people who don't even know that they are being healed by it but simply because it's been made with love and it's been made with such intention that it will be healing so i i agree with you amir and i and i um, think of it um, in in terms of food and food making that's beautiful so um, if made, uh, David, we're going to keep interrupting you today. So buckle sorry, up. Sorry, David. No, I know. You're, you're, the first time, it's like I'm, I'm introducing this is like a blind date. Right. So, um, guys, um, so now I'm instantly hungry. That's number one. But we're going to go down that line because, buddy, you brought it up and it's um, a relevant topic. Um, in terms of nutrition, spirituality, and food. Ooh. Oh, yes. Didn't you know I was bringing that up as a topic? We are going to bring it up. <laughs> so now when I was growing up, I um, was part of the Transcendental Meditation Center, right? And they had um, these belief systems, which I thought was superstition. But in today's world, I realized that it's, there's some real good basis behind it. One of the superstitions was that when food was prepared for the spiritual person, it should have been prepared with love and it's usually prepared in silence and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And people put energy into the food so that when you eat food, the prana, the chi, whatever that's in the food, you consume it in, and you add it to yourself. Mm. Now, this is your, this is your baby, buddy. You've been thinking about oh. these things for years. So yeah. I want you to chime in and tell us everything that you have to say oh, with regard yeah. to that. You know, I mean, well, for anyone who's in, who's who's uh, looked into Ayurvedic um, food, um, <clears throat> one of the first things that people who kind of prepare food in this way is they will say that everything is energy and vibration. 
And so that's kind of the basis of um, Ayurvedic um, foods. And if you look across cultures, you'll see, for instance, that um, in, um, in ancient times and in temples, uh, the people who made the food were actually were very, very revered. And um, in and in Ayurvedic um, medicine and also in others, for instance, the person preparing the food for the folks who came to the temple and, and so forth um, needed to um, clear their energies, often take a salt bath in the morning, yeah. those kinds of things, clearing your energy, clearing clearing your space so that when you came in to the kitchen, it was actually very, um, it was a very reverent kind of activity, you know, very, it was a very reverent kind of uh, thing to do. It was high. The cooks, you know, these are the people who prepared the food. So the uh, food preparers were, were very, very well respected. And then I look across, I look to Ethiopia and I have a, so I have so much respect um, for Ethiopian culture. So deep, so mysterious. So it's, it's such a wonderful culture. And when you look at the way uh, that they, in, the best coffee, I think, in the world. But um, when you look at the way that they approach food, the way they make food, the food that they make, and the way that they eat, and oftentimes they are ridiculed because they do not use utensils. So they sit around and they have their food in the center that's been lovingly prepared and they have injera right, which is their bread, and they rip off the pieces of the injera and they dip it into these different things. And so they eat with their hands. There's no utensils. And they feed each other as a gesture of love. They are extending this love to the person sitting next to them. And I often think about, if you think about the energy that has gone into the food, has been prepared lovingly, so it has all that energy in it. Now you are picking it up with your hands. So there's no interruption in the current, if you will, Mm-hmm. of the energy of love that is now, it, because it's in your hands, there's no utensil in the way. There's nothing breaking the current of energy. Yes, and now you're holding it. Has not, uh, has no, not, not at all. And so you're eating seen, it. No. So there's no, it's a, it's a complete circuit, right? And you take it and now you're feeding someone else and completing the circuit with someone else. So the Ethiopians, I think, for a very, very, very long time have understood um, the essential, like the, the whole thing about how food is uh, is that that kind of energy, that kind of love and food, and how we um, and the importance of how we ingest it, how we keep that surf, that uh, that energy um, going, and that even flow into our bodies um, in a kind of reverential kind of way. So, if you look at cultures around the world, you see um, examples of uh, people relating to food and food preparation in this way, and then you come to the West and we have um, become pretty much disconnected. You know, you you talk to people in the West uh, like this and they really look at you. uh, And I know I've had this experience. They look at you like you have two heads. Like, what are you you talking about? But I I think it's something um, that we have to return to. And unfortunately, in the West, what we do is we come up with these new fads and these gimmicks and these ways and oh we've got to get healthier Sorry. we've got to get more spiritual and so Sorry. then we Sorry. are you saying that mcdonald's is not spiritual <laughs> well yeah mcdonald's you but don't, also, you don't. 
I've spoken, yeah. to, I've spoken to people and some of them have told me that they've had heavenly experiences at McDonald's. Heavenly. I'm like, <laughs> I think that they have. I think that they have had experiences. That, I mean, let's face it. There are, and there continues to be in many different areas in our lives, there are people who are trying to scientifically figure out how to create these sublime synthetic sublime experiences which yes. end up being addictive. And so you have someone biting into a Big Mac. Right. And there are all these things that they have created uh, uh, scientific, you know, with their, you know, chemically that are creating this experience on our tongues, which is giving us this whole experience. And we, we feel that it's sublime. And of course, it's addictive. And then people go back and literally, and Amir, this is what you were talking about, I think, touching on a little bit where you've got folks who take the knowledge that they have and that knowledge is used against us. It's used for profit. It's Correct. used, you know, so in a way, McDonald's does this, and McDonald's isn't the only one. I mean, the food companies really across the board uh, use these methods to get people hooked and get people addicted to things right. that aren't even, it's not even food. Right. It doesn't even offer nutrition, nutrition, there's no nutritional value. Yes. So, I would like to go back to um, um, one of the topics you started with, Patty, soups. Mm. So what's more in soup than any other food? That would be water. Yeah. And now water is an, an intelligent living entity. Yes. So let's go yes. beyond the physics and chemistry of how we would scientifically describe it and look at what it is in actuality. It is the essence of life itself. It changes form in accordance to the energy we expose it to. Absolutely. So we've got a whole field homeopathy, homeopathic medicine. So what else is existent in food? Fire. So a theme is beginning to develop. Materials that come from the earth. So water, fire, earth, and air, of course, mm. is present. Mm. So we're getting to the alchemical uh, foundations of our physical reality and then comes ether which mm -hmm. is spirit which is that energy we bestow upon the food mm -hmm. so in fact it is one of the most ancient as you said uh, ancient forms of magic and healing mm -hmm. and it should be looked at an alchemical transmutation process that's an excellent point absolutely so we've, got, we've got the five elements in there and uh, therefore, um, we have to look at food in, and now that we have a, a spiritual sort of a theme going, it is, so you're not what you eat. You can have poor food and transmute it. Uh, you can have meat that is not ethically sourced, heal the animal, mm. thank you for its service, Absolutely. bless it, share your experience as a sentient human with it, and then consume it. Yeah. And believe yep. me, it makes an incredible difference as mm -hmm. soon as it hits your tummy with the prayers and love and without it. Mm -hmm. One situation, your tummy is going to start burning. You're going to uh, feel indigestion. Mm -hmm. The other, you feel bliss, divinity, love. Mm -hmm. So that process of each step of the way, we're in empowering the food with our consciousness. Yes. And again, manifestation, magic, creation, it is all consciousness. We're living in a reality that 
follows the principle of mentalism. It is all in the mind. So that which you bless, or let's say put a healing spell on, or imbue it with healing energy, any way you would like to describe this, this food is going to benefit everybody that's eating it. Now, even better, when the person's starting to eat, they would follow the process. I'm very grateful for this sustenance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know there's lack, there are people going hungry, but this is my bounty, mm -hmm. and I am very grateful. Exactly, and I gratitude. Yes, 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 blessing upon, upon blessing, upon blessing. And mm -hmm. then as they're consuming it, they're doing this with reverence, with their hands touching this, giving mm -hmm. it that last bit of energy because our hands are powerful conduits. Absolutely. So uh, Absolutely. there's a lot lost in our culture about what food is, how magical food is, mm -hmm. how we can turn something that may be poor in nutrients into something incredibly potent. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, this is something that is lost. And then again, you mentioned the example of McDonald's. These guys are uh, organized crime. It yes. Is. <laughs> Let's call it what it is, Amir. Uh, Absolutely. From a nutritional standpoint, I yeah. got to chime in here. From a nutritional standpoint, I I can give you um, some of the, um, the the background from a scientific standpoint. Now, Amir, you mentioned you mentioned the magical properties of food, and most people don't realize that eating is a spiritual experience. Yeah. There is something that bonds people together when the family sits sits down and eats a meal, and there's there's something that that happens. So now we look at our world today and so mm -hmm. on. And we look at, as you said, organized crime, but it is organized crime. And I'll tell you why that is. Because you will look at a drug dealer down the road who is feeding somebody crack, right? And then you will look at substances like um, the um, E-strains. You don't know what these are. They put them into m and so that you eat more of them, mm. right? You look at MSG. Mm-hmm. Right, you look at these substances, they were definitely made for the flavoring. Now, let me explain something to you about your body. With regard to the taste buds on your tongue, they deliberately or they operate at a specific frequency. Mm. So, what McDonald's and the fast food restaurants have done is entrain your the frequency of your tongue to a higher frequency. So, when you've had a Big Mac, broccoli is never going to taste good to you anymore, right. If you've never had it, if you've never had it, then what broccoli tastes like? It tastes like food. Sprinkle a little salt on it, squeeze some lime, and you're good. Not anymore. Not if you've had it in some sort of fast food version where chemicals have been added to, to deliberately entrain your tongue mm -hmm. to higher frequencies of um, taste and receptivity so that you can go down. Now, think of what drug does that meth. Crystal meth mm -hmm. does that. The first time you take crystal meth is you're hooked. That's why people, it's, it's the best drug ever. If you're going to be in the drug dealing business, crystal meth is the go-to drug. And I'll tell you why. Because the first time somebody takes it, it destroys the joy center in their mind. The joy center in their mind is destroyed. And they cannot be happy again yeah. unless they have that level, right, of release. So. Honestly, you look at the drug dealer down the road and you say that, okay, that person is a bad person. But then you look at McDonald's, you look at so on. And I want to say something here. Whereas they may not be something as a spiritual diet, 
deliberately destroying yourself mm -hmm. is not a spiritual act. Mm -hmm. So for those of you who are eating McDonald's every day and said, okay, then I'll just go pray over my fries. No. <laughs> Food so has to I have may, some nutrient value. Mm -hmm. so if I may add something. So now you've made the analogy as food as a drug. Let's look at the other side, which is correct preparation and reverence for food. Mm -hmm. Food as medicine. Correct. Mm -hmm. So there's a profound experience I had. I went on a 30-day water fast. Mm -hmm. So that kind of breaks up all the addiction you have to any um, food-based substances. And oh my God, the first time you taste nuts, cashew nuts, after the fast, or broccoli, all these sensory receptors are back to life. Correct. So like breaking a habit of addiction, food becomes addictive. So you see, oh my God, these people are harming us. We've become food junkies. Mm -hmm. Breaking that will just ex uh, exaggerate what's really going on with the taste buds, with the digestive system. Uh, so I, I completely agree. This is... Uh, uh, just um, abuse of food in and of course food where we're alive we have to eat right so bringing now into 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 the picture the system of domination and control absolutely if you, if you control what the population consumes if the population has not enough awareness to transmute this toxicity both in terms of physical substances and energetic input into it Correct. Um, they're going to be easily controlled. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the stuff you see with people uh, becoming obese, uh, lower levels of energy, the dumbing down of the population, mm -hmm. it's all related to this kind of food. And again, the name is on it, fast food. What mm -hmm. the hell? When you're eating, mm -hmm. you should be experiencing it. Every bite, everything you swallow, bit by bit, appreciating it, revering it for the beautiful Gift in gratitude, in gratitude. Yes. gratitude, not just stuffing your face and becoming uh, 400 pounds. There's something wrong mm -hmm. here. So, mm -hmm. a lot of people have spoken about this, but yeah. we're now focusing on in addition to all these chemical uh, substances added. Let's not forget sugar. Sugar mm -hmm. is probably the worst drug. Yes. Look at what this goddamn stuff did to people in the Victorian era. If you if you have too much of it, your skin starts peeling off. Mm -hmm. That's a, actually a fact. So, Patty and I live in North America, okay? Ooh. Where there literally is, um, for what, for what, from my perspective, from a spiritual perspective, a war on the population. Okay. Whereby, if I, I am vegan, okay? If I decide to eat healthy, it becomes ultimately more expensive. Theoretically, it shouldn't be. Right. It becomes theoretically more expensive to try to eat healthy mm -hmm. and nutritious food than it is to eat fast food. Mm -hmm. And that is by design because when you, food should never be a, 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 a product of mass production. It mm -hmm. should never be a product of mass production. Because all you are doing, and I remember when McDonald's adopted the Lean Six Sigma motif. Lean Six Sigma is a business optimization tool that was used to mass produce cars, Toyota. 
So what Lean Six Sigma is, you take um, unnecessary movements, all the, anything that's unnecessary out of a system. So like if you wanted to make a burger, you're not going to pray over it. As an example, that would be right. considered waste. Right. A waste of right? time. You just find the things that makes that burger fry and edible mm -hmm. the quickest possible way. Mm -hmm. McDonald's is an example of a restaurant that did that. Mm -hmm. The Six Sigma part of it is a standardization part. And so what the standardization means is that the, the fries in, in Puerto Rico will be the same as the fries in Nebraska, right? So they standardize food. Right. Right. Now, you people might be saying, well, that's a good thing, isn't it? No, that's not a good thing because if all the food is destructive and they standardize it, then that's standardized destruction everywhere. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, like, there's not going to be a McDonald's um, that is going to be more healthier than the other one. So food should never be a product that is part of mass production. That's the first mm -hmm. thing. There, there may not be something called a spiritual diet because that's up in the, the air, right? But for sure, I am thinking that if you deliberately put food that is dead food, the, the concept of biogenics is that you support life with life. Mm -hmm. You support death with death. If you are eating dead food, and I don't mean dead animals, I know I'm vegan, but I absolutely don't recommend it for any adults out there, okay? Mm. Right? If you are, when I mean dead food, I mean food that is devoid of like you fried the crap out of that food. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You destroyed any nutritive value that the food, you, you might as well be eating cardboard. Mm -hmm. What is the difference at the end of the day? People say, well, it has carbohydrates in it. Let me explain something to you. Carbohydrates, the word means carbon, oxygen, and hydrogen. Mm -hmm. Okay? And not all carbohydrates are the same. For those of you who don't know, not all carbohydrates are the same, right? Mm -hmm. Because you can eat um, cake with icing on it and say, well, I'm getting my carbs. <laughs> Or you can eat a sweet potato. The difference is that the sweet potato will actually promote your life. Yes. And what is the name of, a, of that cake company? Kiss, Kiss Cakes? You remember Kiss? The little, the little cupcake things. They used to call oh, them Kiss Cakes. Oh, okay. Right? I, I know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, they will um, end you quickly because it's predominantly sugar. Hmm posing as something else. And I, I, I don't know, with regard to this, I think there is a control factor that happens here. I agree. Because I can tell you that your head is a lot clearer when you eat properly. Absolutely. Than when you've, you're loaded up with fries and cakes and pastries and so on. That is a statement of fact. Which makes you harder to control. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. There is. And I, I, I honestly feel sorry for a lot of people because it becomes a question of economics. And now people have less disposable income. Mm -hmm. So unless you are a farmer, and look, Canada's trying to stop these home, garden, home and kitchen gardens now. Like, can you believe this? This is like a real thing. Like, uh, like, like how we, they did it in Australia, apparently. I just learned. It is that. Any, anybody who chooses to grow food on their own I don't care whether they're in a residential area. Turn your lawns into a yeah. garden. Yeah. Turn your lawns into a garden because things are not getting any easier out there and you're going to be a slave to some fast food restaurant. Mm -hmm. 
So mm -hmm. I'd, I'd, uh, I'd like to raise a, a point now shining a ray of hope and positivity into this situation. Mm -hmm. That it is amazing how little food is actually necessary. Yes. So uh, we have a culture of overeating in the West. Mm -hmm. We eat far too much, more than is needed. So the hope in the situation is, uh, you've probably heard this, an apple a day, right? Keeps the doctor away. Isn't that the truth? So try to at least ingest that minimum um, critical uh, amount of um, food that is alive. Mm -hmm. So be part of the ecosystem not part of a petroleum refinement facility, right? Mm -hmm. We're not automobiles. We're living creatures, biological creatures, and we must be part of the ecosystem. So having some in the daily diet, at least get the basics in. So if you're addicted to junk food, okay, it happens. I must admit, I'm now addicted to burgers. Oh my God, and they're delicious, right? But then I do get my fresh berries, my nuts, fresh vegetables also. So when I go on my next water fast, I'm going to clear it all out. So again, with the analogy of meth addicts, we're, we're junk food addicts. We're, we're junk foodies. Uh, but if you mm -hmm. keep up that minimum important stuff, fortify yourself with that. There's balance. There's balance. There is balance. There is balance. And, uh, you know, I've kind of railed about this for, um, for a long time because, you know, I work with children and uh, right now I work with teenagers, um, but I've worked with children of all ages and it is, you know, and I think that it's criminal, um, the amount of sugar we feed our children. Mm -hmm. um, so from a young age, and it's all really, it's, it's, it's all deliberate. If you look at cereals, which are mostly sugar and the commercials that are um, aimed at children. And so then you have mom walking through the grocery store. And then of course the cereal is at eye level for the children in the cart. <laughs> and so you have children in the cart saying, mommy, mommy, I want, you know, Cocoa Puffs or Captain Crunch or whatever, because they saw it in a commercial. And so no mom is standing in the cereal aisle, you know, with a screaming kid. Under pressure. Yeah, under pressure. And so, and buys The kid is jonesing like a junkie. Mommy, totally. The kid is, the kid is jonesing. You know, and that's then, a very good point, Patty, because they put the lollipops and thing by the cashier when you're yeah, on the Yeah, the impulse, the impulse buy. Absolutely, so you've got the kid in the cart who's now, the kid is kind of anxious and ornery <laughs> and has is not really very well behaved now because they're at their limit. And so here's a chocolate or here's a, uh, you know, whatever. And, you know, I, I didn't soda. Which I think is one of the uh, of the more um, egregious examples of this, where and, and you have a sugar industry. And I, I live in Florida, so just to the west of me is Big Sugar, is where all you know most of the most of the sugar is grown. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize how powerful um, you know Big Sugar was until I started doing some research and found that. They were powerful enough to get the FDA to accept that on our nutrition labels, where they have to list the RDA of everything, they don't have to list the RDA of sugar. Mm -hmm. 
And so you'll go down, you'll see everything, but then in that, in that space there, it's blank next to sugar because who's going to buy a bottle of soda that says that it's 300 to 400% of the RDA of sugar. I could chime in here on, on that argument because I, I remember this <laughs> argument. I remember this argument passing through the FDA. So their argument was that uh, sugar is one of those um, uh, compounds where it depends on your body weight and size, right? Mm -hmm. So they, they said, you know, you can't um, list it because it depends on the buyer who's buying it. That was the argument that they used. But mm -hmm. let me explain to you. The average sugar in a can of soda is enough to feed a horse, uh -huh. right? A whole horse, right? So it's way above and beyond, right? What a human being needs. I don't care what size you are, mm -hmm. right? Because they're looking at somebody who's like 110 pounds and they're looking at somebody who may be 500 pounds, right? So it, it depends, right? Mm -hmm. But my point is, even if you're 500 pounds, it's still too much sugar in a soda still can way too much sugar and then here and i believe in in, in um david you might have heard about this when they try to um uh regulate mm -hmm. the advertising that big sugar was doing like these big cereal companies which you you look at their advertising budget mm -hmm. for post and for kellogg's it's it's not like billions of dollars in in uh you know in advertising and mostly at children so when they were called to task for this, the argument that they used to continue to advertise to children was free speech. That was awesome. That was a hell of an argument. Actually, the the, the legal team that represented them were, were was a big miss. You got Tony the Tiger. Honestly, you, you got the rabbit, what, Twix of the kids? Mm-hmm. Uh, the leprechauns. Like rabbit that, the, in the, in the, the rabbit leprechauns. that looks like it's on crack. Yeah. That rabbit is on crack. Mm -hmm. You got Captain oh, Crunch. Crunch. You got <laughs> Captain oh, Crunch. Crunch. Right. You got Captain Crunch. You got the, the leprechauns of Lucky Charms. The leprechauns of the Lucky Charms, as an example. And every time there was a commercial, there was people having a good time. Mm -hmm. Right. Whereas the other commercials look so dull or whatever. Look, Patty, it was insidious the way the sugar industry went after those kids. It was mm -hmm. insidious. And so when the research came back, everybody knows that sugar in excessive quantities will break you down. You will get you fat. You're going to suffer from diabetes. It's really, 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 really bad. Right. You got people drinking six Cokes a day. Absolutely. Like they will not one glass of water, six cokes a day. We're getting the liquid in because there's water in coke, right? Well, would, with, you would you agree it's addictive? Yes, it would is. You and, agree and, it's then, and they came up with other insidious ploys. Like what the hell is Coke Zero? You're telling me that Coke Zero yeah. is better than regular Coke? And I'm like, no, it isn't. It isn't. Because, no, because what, you are, what you are trading, you're trading, oh my God, you're trading glucose for saccharin? Yeah. Like since well. A carnicity. Right. Uh, what is it? A carnicity. Right. Like seriously. Right. So, so you won't die of diabetes, but you might die of cancer. Like seriously, guys. Look. <laughs> and and you know, didn't they do a study at Penn University um, with rats and sugar and cocaine? You remember this, Amir? You're shaking your head. It's a, so so they had rats with you know the the water bottles you know for the for the rats and they can go and they can drink the water all right so they like, the, they like, they like the sugar better yeah 
Exactly. So in one cage was the sugar and one cage was cocaine. But then what they did was they had a floor, the floor and they would give them electric shocks when they would drink. And so the, the, the rats that were addicted to the cocaine stopped because it's like, you know, the shit hurts. Um, but the rats that were drinking the sugar water kept going. So they concluded that it, it looked like sugar might be more addictive than cocaine. Yeah, yeah Mary, you wanted to say something? I, I just want to point out that this is no accident. Mm. It is intentional, absolutely. And the fact is it's been going on for hundreds of years. Yeah. Now look at the introduction of sugar to the Western world. Mm. That is what fueled the Industrial Revolution. Let's look mm. at the example of England. A normal factory worker would work for three, four hours and they'd be wasted. They couldn't work anymore. Mm. Give them some sweet tea and then comes in tea also, excessive caffeine. Oh, absolutely. So it's basically pumping the population with a very deadly um, uh, stimulant. Yes. To raise productivity yes. and the side effects be damned. They don't care. That's Look right. at how the slave population was treated. Uh, in North America, uh, they, uh, they, they were hooked on sugar, saturated fat, and cocaine, and opium, all the drugs that they could find right. to hook these mm -hmm. poor human beings to just make them work harder. That's so right. if their life expectancy goes down to 35, well, no problem. They're just slaves, right? But That's now right. this has been done globally to the mm -hmm. entire population. Exactly. That's why we graduated, Amir, from tea to coffee. Yeah. Because coffee has more caffeine. Yes. So when you see that sign for Duncan, you know, I America, I America runs on Duncan. It's like, yeah, listen, yeah, you're right. Caffeine listen, and sugar. It's so sad. Look, my main problem with this nutrition war that is going on is that the advertising is so sick. Yeah. Right. So now. I wouldn't have thought that they would have made coffee sexy. I, like, with coffee, <laughs> right? Like, like, I wouldn't have thought that they would have made coffee sexy, but coffee sexy, you got yeah. your... Like, I didn't know there was somebody... I don't drink coffee, okay? But um, in Canada, if you go to Tim Hortons, the list of different kinds of coffees that you can have, right? Right? You got double espresso, you got all sorts of different cool names, like alcohol, right? Which, mm -hmm. by the way, the most addictive alcohols have sugar in them, just so we can. That would be wine and that would be rum. What is more destructive than rum, right? So that would be wine and that would be rum. If you have a rum punch as an example, let me just give you guys because I did do the nutrition thing. So for those of you who don't know what else sugar does, apart from the fact that sugar is addictive, let me give you some facts, a little bit of trivia for you. If you add any other substance to sugar, then that individual absorbs the substance faster. Yes. All sugars break down into glucose in your system. They feed your brain. Okay? So as an example, if I gave you a rum punch, guess what's in the rum punch? Sugar. It's made out of sugar. It's nice and sweet. For those of you who've had like pina coladas, what is the other one? rum punches and stuff like that, and you're um, drinking it and you're wondering why you get drunk faster on a mm. rum punch, it's the sugar that's making the absorption happen. Absolutely. Okay? 
So if you went on holiday to a nice Caribbean island and you found yourself, um, I don't know, singing Bless O Canada or Bless America or whatever on the seashore in the middle of the sea, that would be the reason why. There's another, there's another issue, a little bit, bit of trivia here for you. If you put sugar, there's a reason why you give children sugar pills. Okay? So you want to feed a child aspirin. Everybody knows what aspirin tastes like. Nobody wants that in their mouth. Okay? So they added sugar around, uh, sugar coating around the aspirin. And yeah, let, let me pop some more of these aspirins, okay? That's basically how that works. But then while when the aspirin gets into your stomach, it helps you absorb the, the uh, chemicals from the aspirin a little bit faster. These are the things that people don't see when it comes to sugar. But mm -hmm. one of the things that I really, which is really not a good thing for kids, is that simple burning sugars, they're dof different kinds of sugars. The sugar you get in a sweet potato, okay, will burn slowly in your system. Mm -hmm. The sugar you get in a kiss cake or icing on a cake is a fast burning sugar. So it raises you up and yeah. drops you down, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Which is not good for kids' metabolism at all. You're destroying mm -hmm. your children when you give them fast burning sugars because they're going to be used to the up and down. You, it's like giving a child Red Bull. Would you give your child Red Bull? Mm. Oh, absolutely not. And a lot of those, like we're, I think we're graduating from, uh, from coffee to these energy drinks now. And many of them are banned in Europe, but like you have the monster drinks and the Red Bull and, and, and all of that really, it's like diabetes in a can. And one of the that's, things, that's, David, that's just to dovetail, evil stuff. exactly, is one of the things that's happening is type two diabetes in our country, in the United States, maybe in Canada, I don't know, but definitely in the United States, type two diabetes, which is an adult onset. Um, diabetes, which is it, which is brought on by um, choice food choices, basically, uh, or a lifestyle, um, not you know the not type one, um, is um, increasing in in, um, in younger younger children, you know, in younger children and teens. So now you've got teens who should not be anywhere close to type 2 diabetes now um, becoming, you know, having type 2 diabetes. And it's all because of that, you know, that roller coaster thing you were talking about. So your body goes on that roller coaster all the time. And at some point, it, it loses its capacity to process the, the sugar. It goes completely and out of balance. Because your brain you uses the glucose. Glucose is not sugar when it's in your body. Mm. Glucose is what your brain uses to fuel itself. Your brain does not need all of that glucose. When you ingest it and it dumps it into your bloodstream, and your, and your brain liver. gets that hit, when your brain mm. gets that hit, you can't think clearly. Your hands shake. Yeah. So I would like to introduce another ray of light and hope in this rather dark situation. Even though... So the, the, the incredible machine that this body is, mm -hmm. right. again, there have been studies not very well published that even if you get type 2 diabetes, there are cases where people go on the water fast mm -hmm. and the body learns yes. how to process sugar one more. right. Yes. Yeah. So even in this dark situation where a powerful, powerful narcotic like sugar is pumped 
literally pumped into us like goddamn chickens. We're just forced, force fed this that makes us run faster on the hamster wheel. Again, yes. if something goes wrong with the body, the body has the wisdom and the ability to fix itself if you just cut the poison for a while. Yes. So there's this fear ingrained in us. If you don't eat for a week, you're dead. That is bullshit. Please. Our ancestors were hunter-gatherers. They did not get steak every single day. They would go hungry for three weeks. And yet here we are. That means after three weeks of starvation, you have the ability to run down a buffalo and hunt that thing. <laughs> right? And then you go down, you, when, when the sugar goes out, you go into a ketosis mm-hmm. where you're burning fat reserve. And oh my God, the body loves it. The brain adores it. You just have to experience this sense of elation, how sharp your mind is. And if you're a spiritual person, your intuition, your, uh, let's say, spiritual abilities go tenfold. So there's Agreed. a reason every, everybody that is spiritual, including Jesus, the Buddha, they, they go fast. down. They fast. Yes. So if you want to see the light from within shine brightly, heal the body, soul, and mind, fast mm. right fast don't go crazy with it you don't need to do a month i didn't do one month in the, in the beginning do so, four days so amir we're trading fast food for just fast right yes, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> i think we're going to name the show fasting or fast food yeah so it's, it's, it's fast food or food fast <laughs> yes. Right. yes 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 and again going back to what um, um patricia started with with the soup, that key to life is the water in that soup that you have blessed. So body needs minerals. If you want to go on for a month, the minerals are important. Otherwise, your body's going to go into shock, starting with muscle cramps and so on. Mm-hmm. So you add a little bit of Himalayan salt, which has, by the way, 99.99% of everything you need in terms of minerals. A tiny bit of Himalayan salt in your water Drink that water and let the body clean that backed up garbage that's destroying your liver, destroying your brain, yeah. destroying your digestive systems, your nervous cells, the covering on the nervous cells. It just goes on and on and on. It okay. So it's not, a, it's not a foregone conclusion. We're not doomed. Just no, We definitely are not doomed. And I, I, I want to spend so, some time giving these people some nutritive tips, um, especially people in the spiritual community. I want to touch on the other side of sugar, um, which is the lipids. Um, For those of you who don't know what lipids are, they're fats, okay? So here's a rule of thumb. If food tastes really, really good, chances are there's fat in it. (laughs) Fat could be in the form of oils. Uh, Most likely it's oil and so on. So the reason why you like um, fried foods um, is because of the fats. If there was no fat in um, uh, McDonald's fries, you wouldn't eat them, okay? But I'm going to give you a few um, trends that have happened in the um, in the dieting industry. So they realized at some point in time that they couldn't make people stop eating. So I'm not su- suggesting this for you guys as a solution to your sugar problem, but there are enzymes and substances that you can buy that block your tongue from being able to taste sugar. So that would be actually a good experiment for a lot of you 
take the substance. It's called a carb blocker. Take this, take the substance, and then go eat yourself some M and M and see what they taste like without you being able to taste sugar. You will never eat M and M's. You will never eat any of the foods that you're thinking of again, because once your your sense of taste of sugar is negated, oh my God, no, no, no! You're not gonna eat a whole bunch of stuff. You'll be like, but why? Why have I been doing this to myself? So that's a good experiment that you guys can actually have. There's lots of products on the market that way, but it was an interesting way of getting people to stop eating sugar. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about fats, however, the thing about a fat, the thing about f- fried foods is that you don't actually have to be able to taste them to know that they taste good because you can block off somebody's sense of smell. <laughs> and so you stand outside the house or somebody who's frying, frying up some good, I don't know whether it be fish, chicken, whatever else. It's the reaction, right? And so you can't get around fats that kind of way by, because you can't necessarily smell sugar, but you can smell fats. Mm. And so when the, the thing about fats is that when it breaks down in your system, it dumps sugar into your bloodstream. For those of you who need a little lesson on nutrition, let me give it to you like this. I'm going to break down the whole nutrition process. Let's break down the digestive system first. You got your mouth, incisors call incisors because they make cuts, canines call canines, literally because they tear things, and molars are called molars because they crush things. Put food into your mouth. A lot of y'all don't chew your food properly. No. That's a spiritual thing. Because I will this shovel, 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 shovel. You are not a snake. Don't be shoveling food into your mouth, okay? Then it goes in, it goes into your esophagus, and it's like peristalsis begins. So what happens is that this happens, and it pushes it into your stomach. For those of you who suffer from heartburn, the reason why you may suffer from heartburn is because you've been shoveling food into your mouth and you have not been chewing them and making a bolus out of the, 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 the um, enzymes that are, your saliva starts to break down a food. If your saliva doesn't get a chance to touch the food and you're just throwing it in like you're throwing a ball down a hallway, right? Then the, the, pre-break, the, the pre-part of breaking down the food does not happen. And so it goes through your um, esophagus and it enters your stomach. The reason why you have had heartburn is because that valve that's there, there's a valve that's there, it has a problem because it's being treated badly. And so stomach juices come up into your esophagus, which burns, heartburn. Just so we know what kind of juice that is, it's called hydrochloric acid. Mm. Pretty that's what your stomach uses to break down stuff. So you all are probably... Hydrochloric acid, you mean like in chemistry? Yes, that hydrochloric acid. That will break down anything and it lives in your stomach and you're still walking around. That's how amazing you are as a human being. Hydrochloric acid lives in your stomach Mm -hmm. and you are still protected, but you're like, why doesn't it burn a hole through me? Because you're a human being and you're powerful. Mm -hmm. God made you that way, right? Mm -hmm. And so... That's where things began to break down. Now, a lot of people suffer from gallstones. A lot of people suffer from a liver issue. The gallbladder and your liver, liver hair, gallbladder in the middle, stomach. 
liver pushes bile, it breaks down your food into your gallbladder, it's stored there, stored into the stomach. Why do you guys suffer from gallstones? You guys suffer from gallstones specifically because you have bad digestive practices. Because if you eat badly, you will destroy the flora inside your stomach. So you're gonna be using a lot more of your digestive juices just to break things down. And then from there, you got the large intestine, and then you got the, uh, you, you got the small intestine, and then you got the large intestine, which basically um, evacuates waste from your stomach. So um, I think a lot of people, they make several mistakes down the line, but it all starts with your mouth and what you put into it and how you put it in. So my suggestion, if you want to change your health from now, learn to chew your food properly. Mm. Learn to take your time to eat. Eating food is not, oh, I only have five minutes for lunch. Let me just throw that in and hope for the best. You are going to over a period of time destroy yourself. So you, you guys got to do that. A lot of people have bad practices, like they drink um, carbonated drinks while they're eating food. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Can you imagine eating a Big Mac with a soda? That's, what, that's how it comes. It's crazy. You know, as you were talking, David, I was thinking, um, because I love metaphors, and um, I was thinking that the way we eat is really a metaphor for how we live our lives. Correct. And so if you really want to look, if you really want to look honestly about how you're, you're living, how you're approaching your life, on all levels, right? Emotionally, spiritually, physically. Then mm. look closely at the way you eat. Correct. Take and and I think yeah, I think that there is an absolute parallel way we approach eating and the way we approach life. And, and and I say this not as a critique of others, but I say this as someone who had to take a hard look at that myself. Correct. And I learned so much. You know, and I had to really uh, um, look at that and bring my level of awareness um, much more like, you know, I thought I was aware. Oh, no, I needed to go much deeper. I needed yes. to take a much closer look, a much more honest look. I'm not beating myself up, but looking really honestly at that and how it does reflect um, and has always reflected the way I live my life. Yeah. That's yeah. beautifully put. You know, Most we all talk honest. about self-care self and self-love and how important, how primary that is. Mm. What is more important than that which we have to do frequently, eating? So if, the, if that's done poorly, I completely agree that's an indication of an outlook to life. That fueling the body, this incredible machine, is done with haste and with irreverence. Mm. So also correlate with a lot of other stuff we do to ourselves. I actually want to pick that up as well, Patty, because it's it, it's true on so many levels, even the way we communicate with others and bond with others. Absolutely. Right. Food has always been a communal activity. It has always been. Um, and I think that when it is that people start to share food together and so on, there was that ritual, so to speak was a bonding ritual between people. Mm -hmm. And what is more, uh, and that is primal to the human existence because from the time you're born, 
you are sharing the food of your mother. Mm-hmm. But somewhere on the lines, it goes off the rails. But the fact of the matter is, you share the food of your mother, you sit down there, and that is a bonding experience. When people make food for you and so on, that is a bonding experience. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot less of that now. Um, I think that starts, um, that's happening. Um, but I think that's something we absolutely need to bring back. Oh, yeah. Um, eating as a ritual of um, eating, sharing meals. Absolutely. What about preparing meals together? Even preparing mm-hmm. meals together. And I think that's something that, that also needs to happen. There are a lot of couples and so on where um, the woman does the work and so on. Mm-hmm. Right, and I think that needs to be actually revamped because I can tell you it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a manly man or whatever else. Get mm-hmm. inside that that kitchen and peel the carrots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Peel the carrots. Put your energy into it. Right, mm-hmm. and a lot of people do not do that nowadays. Some I, of it is cultural. Some mm-hmm. of it is not. Right. Well, I mean, speaking of cultural, David, though, really, I have met. And you probably have too. And Amir, you probably have too. Met a lot of women who say, I don't cook. I don't cook. So it's not just a, you know, there there are a lot of guys who like to cook and some men who don't. But there are a lot of women. There are more and more people who look at a kitchen. And I think the energy of a kitchen is very, very important. How you look at your kitchen, the kind of intention, you know, how you keep it clean, all of that. The kitchen is a very, it's an energy center, right? So how do we even approach our kitchen and often the way that people even look at their kitchen or or or, or, um, think about their kitchen as a place of drudgery as a place of work i don't want to go there i don't want to have to chop stuff up i don't want to really clean and clean and i i don't want to prepare food so it is um it's like uh it's it's not seen as a place of joy it's not seen as a place of ritual and connection and this is let's come together to make a place of oppression as well huh Ah. a lot of political groups is seen as a place of oppression yes and that should never be the case because um eating is fundamental to sustaining Mm -hmm. life that's how we've inverted we've inverted that in our culture i'm going to take it even one step worse david the kitchen is where we keep our microwave that's pretty much the worst case scenario Otherwise, you know, <laughs> and that's what it's coming down to. Microwave yeah. this, microwave that, nobody really. So, yeah, it, you know. We have, the, um, we have these companies. Uh, the best thing that has happened um, is we have these companies that will take you farm produce, like Chef's Plate and what's the other one? They give you the ingredients to prepare things, right? They make yeah. it, dumb it down and so on. Food but kits. They, yeah, the food kits. And even these companies are struggling right now. And I'll tell you why they're struggling because even that is too much effort for people. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my god! Like, like if if somebody gave me the ingredients, the exact amount, I don't need to measure anything, whatever else. You just gotta put it together and put it in a pot. I'm like, yeah, okay, but even that is too much work. So don't expect to see a whole bunch of um, people nowadays making bread from scratch. And Patty, mm-hmm. on the concept of bread, let's talk about fennel bread. Oh, it was one of my favorite, one of my favorite things. I just, you know, because I like fennel. So it's kind of a thing. Um, I think it's an ancestral thing. So when I make 
um, fennel bread. And, and I actually, for the most part, when I make fennel bread, I'm making it as an offering for my, on my altar. Like I put it on my altar for, as an offering for, for the ancestors. And I really try not to eat it myself. <laughs> stay away from the carbs. So I often, <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll make that um, as an offering. And so the reason why David is bringing it up is because when we've gotten together a couple of times before, he's asking what, you know, he asked me what I'm doing. I'm like, oh, I'm making fennel bread, you know? So it's like this, this thing now um, that, that we People talk still about. offer food to their ancestors and is, food, is that ritual still practiced nowadays? Well, I think that not a lot of people keep altars, um, but I, I do keep an altar um, for my uh, for my ancestors. Now, I will say that years ago when I was introduced to altar keeping, I did it in a half-assed way, and I quickly learned that's really not a good idea. No, <laughs> so, no, we we talked about this in another show, David. So I have um, so I've I've um, come along in that way, and so uh, I do keep an altar um, for for my ancestors, and I will um, like if I've made fresh homemade pasta I'll put some on the altar for them uh, you know because I'm of uh, you know Italian descent uh, and also Irish and so I'll put the Irish whiskey on the altar and I'll put you know some limoncello on the altar you know I'll put uh, certain things always chocolate and, and, and things like that always, so I do I'm always so impressed when uh, when people actually show that kind of reverence that stuff is, is becoming less and less. And I want to say something on this show, um, guys. The concept of reverence is becoming a lot less, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it be your ancestors or whether it be the universe, whatever you want to call it, right? There's the concept that you are not alone in the universe. You are not the center of the universe. Yes. It's a very powerful thing that you are an operative, connective part of the universe. And so you demonstrate that in out um, in outward manifestations, whether it be um, keeping an altar, as Patty said, or just simply just taking your mind and saying, "Today I am alive." Thank you, universe. And oh, look at what you brought me—fruit mm, salad. Yes. <laughs> so these are the kinds of things that you want to do mm. because it's an energy exchange. And when there is no energy exchange, you have stagnancy, and there's nothing worse in a plumbing system so to speak than a blockage mm -hmm. oh absolutely <laughs> people experience it all the time i agree with you about reverence i think that there are really really simple ways that we can bring reverence back in to our lives and people don't have to do these big dramatic things and people don't have to go out and make a home altar tomorrow um, because they heard it on the show but i i think in these in, in in moments for instance when you're driving to work and you look up through your windshield and you see those beautiful clouds and that sun and the blue sky or whatever even if you see the rain that everything you know you can think that you can look at everything as sacred and as beautiful find the beauty in things and and that will connect you get out in nature uh, and even if you don't live in nature there are things of beauty all around that will um help us get to those moments of reverence and i think if we can um i think if we can start there and i also you you both you and amir made references that i just wanted to touch on like both of you said we have to focus our minds like it was kind of mind-centered and you know i um i might have a little bit of a disagreement on that sure. because 
I, no. I think, not that, but I, I really honor what you guys are saying, though often I think that we have a tendency to be more mind-centered, and in fact, it is the heart that gives out more electromagnetic, it's like a times, it might be more, a hundred times more powerful than the brain. And so we have this whole toroidal field that's coming out from our, our bodies, which comes from the heart. And when you think about how, you know, when we're born, when we're developing in the womb, right? The very first organ that is, that, that develops is the heart. The second organ is the tongue. Interesting, right? We've been talking a lot about food and the magic of the tongue. And I think the, the tongue is like more mysterious than even we can comprehend. And then you have the brain, right? And, and so I, I think that, and, and even if you look at religions, right? If you look at the Christian religion, the sacred heart, guard your heart, you know, there are all of these references that great um, spiritual leaders have made to the heart. I mean, even the Egyptians, when they were embalming people, right, and they were putting them away, you know, to go off to, you know, to, to the, you know, to the spirit world, I think they got rid of the brain. They were like, they're not going to need this there. <laughs> they didn't put that, they didn't put that in one of those sacred little vessels. They got rid of that shit. <laughs> I think I have an, an answer for you. Okay. I think I have an answer for you. All right. So the answer that I would probably have for you, no, I agree with everything you just said, first of all. Let's start with that, okay? But the reason why we say focus the mind and we don't say focus the heart is because we tend to theoretically think of the heart as an expansive vessel and we tend to think of the mind as a zeroing kind mm -hmm. of a vessel. So... I am going to go somewhere in between and challenge you to something called heart mind. Yeah, you know I would, you know I would go there. Awesome. I would have to challenge you on something called heart mind, honestly, because the, the when you think of about the heart, focusing the heart is it seems a little bit counterintuitive. Like let's let me explain what I mean by that. In our um, Greek, the Greeks gave us a standardization of love, okay? Mm. So they, they actually had a pyramid for different kinds of love. And I want to share it with the audience. At the bottom of the barrel of the love, the bottom love was eros. That would be the, the relationship between you and another man or another woman or whatever else. Mm -hmm. The romantic. That was at the base and the bottom, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right, of the ladder. Okay, and the reason why it was at the base at the bottom of the ladder was because it came with conditions, conditionalities, mm -hmm. how you look, mm -hmm. probably who you vote for, who knows, what toothpaste you use, it depends. It, it can get from, from, from very simple to quite ridiculous, right? It came with conditions. The next step up there was um, the friendship, the uh, friendship between friends and so on. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Still came with conditions. Mm -hmm. Right, your friend might decide that they don't like fennel bread. Right. <laughs> you can't be friends anymore after that. God damn it, no. Right, so right. So the next step up from that was actually the the the, the love that exists between family filials, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, right? yes. And so it came with less conditions because your brother could be still your brother. Right. Blood still is your brother. than water. Blood, blood, yep. But at the top of that ladder, when you're talking about love, was something called agape, which is 
open, expanded love for yeah. everything and everyone, seeing everyone as a soul. Yes. Seeing everyone as a soul, not seeing everyone as somebody walking around the place with political mm. this and political that, religious this and religious that. So mm. agape was the uh, was, but it was always thought of as the higher up the chain of love you go, the more your heart expands outwardly, Absolutely. which was not necessarily a focus thing. Um, in terms of the intellect, now let's go to Plato and how he thought. Okay. So he had a construct of mind, for those of you who've read Plato's Republic, at the bottom of the ladder, just so that we're clear, were the people who did manual labor. Okay, they lifted things, they brought things to the hand and they weren't really thinking. At the middle of the ladder, he put people who were emotional, who used their emotions to do, draw, to do jobs like the police or whatever else, emotional caregivers and things more in the middle. But at the top of that ladder, he put the philosophers because they were the ones that saw into the real world, according to him. Get into a philosophical argument. Not at all, right? But this is how Plato saw it. But you see the two different ways of thinking has colored the way we perceive um, how the heart operates and how the mind operates. Mm. And Plato's um, Republic went in a triangle like this, right? Mm. The Greeks went in a triangle like this. Notice that. The Greeks thought agape, the expansiveness of the heart, was the top form of love. It was not mm -hmm. focused on one person. Mm -hmm. It was focused on everybody. Everything and everyone. Everybody. Yes. And that, I suspect, is where we get those um, distinctions from. But it's very interesting to see how people thought, right? Because mm -hmm. Plato was like, philosophers should be at the top of the, uh, the, should rule society because they can see the real world, according to him. Mm -hmm. So from his perspective, there is a chair. The person at the bottom of the ladder will see a chair. The person in the middle of the ladder will have a reaction to the chair. But the philosopher, what he would see was chairness, mm. charity, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so that's what he thought. Um, honestly speaking, I don't know in terms of the philosophies, how this all got mixed up, but I tend to go somewhere in the middle. Because when there's an opposition, I'm going somewhere in the middle. I'm going to go like heart mind. And my heart focuses on everyone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now, if I may, I'd like to reconcile both. <laughs> yes. That uh, there is an element of willpower yes. uh, exerting your will consciously. But it's always a good idea to add a hefty dose of love to everything you do. Yes. Mm. So these will complement each other and not oppose each other. So thinking of this, the intellect coming down into the heart, landing in the heart, mm -hmm. then it becomes supreme. Mm -hmm. And therefore, both of these points of view are, are very valid. Mm -hmm. So um, there is a place for thought and then there's a place for throwing it away as you brought the example of the Egyptian mummies, that that's just the conscious mind is only there to guide us to survive physical reality. Yes. And we know the human being is much more than just the physical. That's mm -hmm. the heart is the seat of the infinite. It is where the mighty ocean is fit into one cup. Mm -hmm. So that is very primary. But then that mighty ocean will go to waste if we don't guide it through this physical reality. Mm -hmm. So as living beings, we need the mind 
but as immortal beings, the heart is everything. Which would bring us to the concept of the empath. I have often said on many, many shows, and I know a lot of people disagree with me, y'all could disagree with me, the, of all the gifts, spiritual gifts that are useful, the empath is the most useful, and I'll tell you why. You could be precognitive, you could read the Akashic Records, but if you're empath, you're useful to other people, not just to yourself. Mm. Absolutely, right? Like, there should be a, a site for empath dating, okay? <laughs> because you know, the, so the, value, the value of an empath is that if you are involved with an empath, that is another pair of eyes to look at your reality that you don't have. Mm. An empath will see your blind spots. They will see your blind spots. Not just your future and your past and your present, but they will see everything that you don't see. Mm -hmm. And so... I, I tend to think of empaths in, in the most reverence in terms of, of, of how they operate. Having said that, the only person that, the only person that may have a problem with, me, uh, with an empath is the empath themselves, right? Mm. Because there's, a, there's an old joke. An, uh, there's an old joke. An empath walks into a bar. <laughs> That's it. That's the end of the joke. That's, that is the joke right there. <laughs> right? <laughs> But but um, <laughs> um, but uh, the empath dating who judge how empathetic you are. Well, so I suppose we we'll, we'll, we'll probably have an empath test. Like I wonder how that would work. Like, yes, like an empath questionnaire. How do you yes. feel about this questionnaire? Uh, yeah, and I also think that part of the questionnaire because you know on these dating sites. Um, not that I have any personal experience with this at all. But on these dating sites, they have a whole host of like, you know, personality. An impact dating site. I think that we would have to include questions um, uh, that would measure also their ability to set boundaries. Because I think that that yeah. is one of the things that is a pitfall for empaths. And uh, if they can't set healthy boundaries. No, nobody, Patty, the thing about it, it's very difficult if you're an empath to set boundaries because they, they struggle, they, 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 they suffer inside, right? Being able to feel other people's shit is not an easy thing, right? It's right, right. unpleasant, yeah. Maybe instead of the dating site, we should start a school to show empaths how to uh, set boundaries. That would be better, I think. Actually, that would that's, be a, that's a good idea. <laughs> That would be better and than dating. The reason why okay. that's a good idea is because... I, that's cool. Yeah, no, no, honestly, like Yeah, the dating site would fail. You want to know why the dating <laughs> site would fail? The dating because site narcissists would, would show up. No, <laughs> no, because all the empaths would just date each other. Mm. <laughs> like, oh, that's true. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And that wouldn't work. Yeah, you're right. A, a, a school of um, psychic um, defense would yes. be a very good thing for an empath. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Because, because I, I do know a few of these people who are very, um, who have uh, this empath thing, and they just stay indoors. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's, well, it's, especially it's, now. Yeah. I mean, the world is, you know, the world is pretty rough right now. Yeah. I mean, it's gotten worse. 
And so, yeah, I can imagine. I mean, like the people I know who are more empathic right now are are really going through a lot. Like they're mm-hmm. they're struggling. You know, and I, you know, I have, you know, I can have empathic tendencies, but I really don't, um, I don't know how I've managed, but, <laughs> but I do know people who I guess are probably much more, um, you know, empathetic than I am who are really having a rough go of it. There's, there's, there's many, many ways that, um, I suppose this would be really valuable um, to share experiences on techniques and methods that we know work. Because there are lots of things that people can do when you're an empath. That doesn't mean you have to absorb everybody's dirty energy. Right. But if you don't do something about it, that's exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. And it becomes uncomfortable, painful, sometimes destructive. So maybe we could uh, talk about this in another in another yeah. recording. Oh yes. yeah, awesome. yeah. Yes. We're gonna we're gonna have um, the school for empaths. Patty, are you into yes. this? Yeah, I'm totally in. Yeah, I'll totally. I can just you know um, I could just teach from my own um, experiences of screwing up. <laughs> that's 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 valuable stuff you see because the empathetic ability is is far more common. Uh, that is acknowledged. Uh, yeah, I think it's. I think it's a. Wouldn't you say, Amir, that it's um, almost like a, a basic human ability? I think it comes. It comes with our wiring. Yes. yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, but standard standard issue. Standard issue in the human. Yeah, but here's the thing: if if you've escaped puberty and you're fully in that empathic thing, life becomes a little bit um, different for you. So yeah, we absolutely need to do a little bit of a, a recording on that. Well, guys, we have come to the end of our show. And so I want to um, say that this has been a pleasure as usual. This show is, <laughs> this show was a pleasure to me. Thank you, Patty. Awesome. After, all of, you. after all of that introduction about I'm not this, I'm not that, you've given us a lot <laughs> well, to think about. Guess what, huh? <laughs> right. America, you and Patty have the last word. Go ahead. <laughs> Ladies first, please. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, for, um, just being such lovely company um, this afternoon and for such a wonderful conversation. Uh, I highly value, uh, highly value uh, conversations like this. They are, um, they're rare and so they're precious to me and I want to thank you both um, for that. Um, I want to let any listeners know that if you are interested in any of, uh, you know, the other stuff I do, um, you can find me at Patty Lucia Writes. That's Patty with an I. Lucia um, writes as in I write, W-R-I-T-E-S. Um, and uh, that's where you'll find my books and some podcasts and so forth. And I do have a couple of podcasts. I have Patty Lucia and This Amazing Body. Um, and both of those can be find in, found in all of the usual podcast places. So um, thank you so much. It's been, it's been such a pleasure. I look forward to the next time, David. Excellent. We're definitely going to do that, Sean, on Ambass. Amir, to you. Well, well, um, esteemed ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your time. Thank you for staying with us up to this point. We set out on this adventure uh, with the objective of harmony, with beauty, with elegance. And I think it came together really nicely. I'm sure that we all feel elated. Uh, It's just light upon light upon light. 
uh, with honesty, without any expectation of anything from anybody. I hope that what we talked about is of benefit to you, because that's really another of our primary objectives, to help people with stuff we know is true, we honestly know is true and is beneficial. So hopefully there'll be many more of these gatherings and we can continue to do what we really love doing. Thank you so much. Excellent. Guys, I want to take you away. Thank you, Patty. Once All again. right. Love you guys. See you next time. Thank you for listening and subscribing to our podcast. Universal Citizen Media is an open-door network of professionals bringing relevant content to inspired people. We exist for the promotion of wellness for the betterment of society, and we are a free and independent media group with zero affiliations to any political or religious agendas. If you want to know more, please join us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or in our private online community at community.universalcitizentv.com.